Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to the Victorious Liberty Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McSpadden. I got to tell you, I'm really excited to introduce you to my special guest tonight. But before I do that, let me ask you a question. What do you think it would feel like to have everything the world says a man needs to be successful? Money, houses, cars, women, you name it. What if that was your everyday life? Well, what I just described to you was the everyday life of Manuel Rivas. However, even Manuel himself would tell you that despite all of that, he knew that there was still something missing. And the end result was he felt empty. But fortunately for Manuel and many like him, God never gives up. So what did it take for God to invade the life of this former drug dealer and turn him into an incredible man of God? It took a last-minute prayer in a really weird place on the worst day of Manuel's life. I'll let him tell you all about it as you listen in to tonight's episode of the Victorious Liberty Podcast. We are live, and once again, this is Kevin McSpadden, and I am here with somebody that I am thrilled to introduce everybody to. This is my friend and my brother in Christ, Manuel Rivas. Manuel, it's a pleasure to have you. How are you doing this evening? I'm blessed. Well, that's a really good way of putting it, considering what you're about (laughs) to be sharing with everybody tonight. I wanted to bring you on because I wanted people to hear your story. Amen. The little bit of it that I've heard, I've just been stirred by it and challenged by it and blessed by it all at the same time. And Amen. I just believe that God wants this story out there, not not for your sake, not for my sake, but just for the sake of those who hear this, because you are living proof that Jesus Christ is alive and well, and that His power is still at work in the world today. So that being said, let's just kind of dive in, and I'd like for everybody who's listening to this to know a little bit about you. Let's go back to your life BC, before Christ. With as much detail or as little as you want, tell us who you were and what your life was like before Jesus. So before Jesus, I could um, pretty much sum it up. It was empty and selfish. You see, I had put up walls because when I had grown to love I would get hurt so I really grew up in the streets and and my life was was kind of hard but before Christ it would definitely be empty now when you say empty you're definitely talking about spiritually empty because the way I understand it you had pretty much most of the things people would want. Can you tell us a little bit about your lifestyle and what kind of things you did have, and yet at the same time there was that sense of emptiness with it? Okay, so I had, you know, three houses, my apartments, I had money, you know, and in the midst of everything, it still seems as though, like, there was something missing. You know, like, there was this void inside that that I had continued to, to search for, and there was full of nothingness, and... I remember the, the, the day that I sat there and, and I began to realize, little did I know that it was, you know, Jesus speaking to me, but at that time that it was so empty that I was just so tired of, of the life that I had been living because it was a lie. And so you were living that lifestyle and by worldly measures, you were successful. 
you had anything that anybody could want, and yet you didn't feel that you were satisfied. And you even were telling me earlier on the day that you did get locked up, you were shedding tears, but it wasn't tears because you lost all of it. What were the tears for? The tears were because it seems as though I had the world within my grasp. Everything that I had seeked and pursued within that life, I had gained. But in the midst of it all, I was empty. I didn't trust no one. I didn't love no one. I didn't have time to to even enjoy the things that I had. And I was tired both emotionally and physically. And, and little did I know that the Lord was working then. As I look back, I, I see him in the midst of it. Because I remember I had had a revelation that, that the Lord had given me, but I didn't know it was the Lord at the time. And in the midst of that, he had told me that I was either going to die or I was going to go to prison for a long time. Wow. Yes, and that's the night that I got locked up. I was done. I had quit. I, I told everyone that I was done and that I even told the people around me that it was up to them what they did from here on out. As we sat at the table, I told them from here on out, like, I'm, I'm done. And, like, there's nothing yeah. here. It's a lie. It's a big lie. And I think it's interesting, too, on the night that you got locked up, this revelation dropped, and God basically says, this is where this lifestyle is going to take you. And I think it's interesting, you said, this is all a lie. What is it about that lifestyle that you would say, this is a lie? Well, in general, okay, so as growing up, you see... The money will make you happy. Cars will make you happy. You know, things, materialistic things will make you happy. And as I sat there, I i mean, who wouldn't think that if you had the money, you had the cars, you know, you had the power, you, you had all this stuff, but in the midst of it, it was empty and void. It was as though, like, there was still something missing in the midst of it, you know, and, and I don't know how to explain it, but it all led to Christ, but at the time I didn't know, you know, that that I had been searching and chasing something that could only be filled through Jesus Christ. And and in this life, it was a lie. The money was a lie because the more money that you had, it was the more problems that you had with it. The more friends you had were the more fake friends that were only there for temporarily, you know, and the more stuff that you had, the more people envied you and tried to take from you. So that whole life, as far as the younger generation, is a lie. You know, it's and, and, and it's not only that, it's through all throughout prison. I had several conversations with people, and to this day, even maybe some of the listeners that uh, may have lived that life or know of that life, and it's constantly looking over your back. You know, uh, the cops, they're constantly in your thoughts, lost um, with now, you know, with, with just demonic spirits and forces speaking to you, yeah. And telling you things that you begin to believe. Relationships are out the window. Everything is out the window. You're constantly on guard. And that was a lie. It was a lie. Yeah, and who can live that way? But this is what I find interesting about what you were saying, is even in the middle of living that lie, even in the middle of all that, you knew God was at work on your life. And that's really a perfect transition into you got locked up, but even in what looked like the darkest moment that you had yet lived, that's where God found you. So can you take a minute to give us your salvation experience? Because yours is pretty unique as far as that goes, because especially when and where it happened and then how it began to change you almost immediately. Would you, would you tell us about that? 
because at that point in your life, obviously things didn't look good. But God, right? But God. But amen. God. He was at work. So tell us how that came about. Okay, so I remember that I was in there, and um, there's a lot of things that was going on as far as the Lord working in me. And yet, like I said, I did not know you know, who the Lord was, you can, you can ask me questions and I would say that I, you know, I really couldn't tell you anything about the Bible or anything. I mean, I know there was Jesus. I was more like, yeah, you know, I went to church before, you know, I, I knew who Jesus was. I had all the materials at, at my possession, but yet I didn't really have an intimate relationship and actually know him. So I remember I sat there and I went into the courtroom and, um, my attorney had it come. I tried to fire my attorney and, and the judge was like, no, they were going to give me 30 years aggravated. And uh, for those that don't know, a 30-year 30 uh, year aggravated charge would mean that you would have to do at least half of that before you even seen parole. So I would have to do 15 years flat. I was 24 years old when this happened, and I was facing this, and they were not letting up off of it. So as I was sitting there, and with the weapon at that, so that made it even worse. Right. So as I was sitting there, I was like, God. And, and, and I asked, I was like, God, give me a 25 and remove the weapon. And, and I will read about you, I will pursue you, and I will look for you and learn who you really are. Because I'm tired of this life that I am living. And I hate to interrupt, but just so we're clear, like what you're asking God for in that moment, that's not going to happen unless he does something, right? Like that's not just going to be a, a, a luck of the draw thing. Like what you're asking for has to be his, his hand moving. It has to be because the, the, the attorney is way across the room and it's, this is spoken from within and, and in it, I'm, I'm crying out for my freedom for the inside. And I'm like, like, you know, I'll change, you know, like, like I'm done. I'm done with, with who I was. And if, if you really are there, like this will show me, like this will show me proof that you are there. As I sit there, I'm looking around and, you know, we, of course, there's a bunch of other inmates there and they're looking at me, shaking their head like, oh man, they're going to know you, you know? Well, that's very <laughs> encouraging. <laughs> yeah, it's very encouraging. And I'm sitting there and, and mind you, before that, they had just given life, life with no parole to a man before me with the same drug charge. Wow. So I was like, Lord, I'm, I don't want to die in here, you know? But so I asked this question and as odd as it may seem, I see the DA stand up and, you know, she has her little tablet and she like scrolls through it and she walks over there to my attorney. And my attorney's kind of like shocked, like he kind of looks up, kind of scared, you know, he's already checking his nails, you know, about to leave, you know, <laughs> going through his phone, looking at his watch, like, okay, this is about to be over, literally just sitting there. And she walks over there and she talks to him and he, he looks back. He looks forward. He looks back at me again. <laughs> and he looks at her and he shakes his head. He picks up the paper and he walks over there to me and he's like, uh, well, Mr. Evis, um, they have offered you 25 years and they have offered to remove the weapon. Exactly what you just prayed for. Exactly what I just but prayed for. Word for word. Word for word. So I was like, praise God. And he's like, I don't understand how they would or why they would do that. And I was like, and I was like, you don't understand. I just asked God for this. Like, I just prayed for God to do this for me. And I was like, I'll sign it. And he's like, okay, you know, you know, I mean, 
now that I look back, I'm like, oh, I should ask for maybe 15 or 10, <laughs> but 25 was what was, I guess, asked for, you know, what yeah. I felt was okay as long as the weapon was removed. removed. So... Because that would affect how long it would be till you could get parole. Yes, correct. Right. Well, so, with the 3G, you become an aggravated offender, which is 3G in my case. So then I would have to do half of my sentence. I would not be able to... I would have to start... Basically, your privileges are down. Mm-hmm. You can't get into school. You can't do things. But all I knew is that if I go in there with a weapon charge, it's bad for me. Right. Right? And I was like, okay, I don't want it to be bad for me. Mm-hmm. So as this happened, that was the first thing I went back and I was just telling everybody of how God had answered my prayer. But on the inside, something was birthed inside of me. Mm-hmm. It was something new. I was like, Lord, you, you really are real. Like, uh-huh. You heard me. This was something that was when, and, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he had answered my prayer. And so, as you can see, it took hitting rock bottom for Manuel to realize that what he had been missing all along was the love of God in his life. But when God answered that prayer in the courtroom, things completely changed. And that was just the beginning. This story is a long way from over. And I hope you'll come back to hear more of what Manuel has to say about how God continued to reveal himself to him, even in a really dark place. The Bible tells us that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. As you hear Manuel's story in the next episode, you'll see that even in a dark place, light will still always triumph. Thank you for listening. This has been the Victorious Liberty Podcast. May God bless you, may God keep you, and may God cause His face to shine upon you.